Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Hi folks, this is Chatter. Gay Wisher, Honky Magoo, 5150, and I have started a new podcast. Yeah, I know we should have gotten Brian Lunduke to do the voiceover, but he wanted a script, and none of us are in scripting. Anyway, it's Linux Lugcast. We're at linuxlug.com. IRC channel, pound Linux Lugcast on Freenode. We record on the first and third Fridays of the month, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 0200. We talk about things we've tried, things we got to work, things we failed to get working, we built, and things we broke. Email us at feedback at slugcast.com, and if we don't know the answer, we'll just tell you and install Arch. It's a joke, son. So join us as we stifle the outcry of voices everywhere for another podcast. This is Russ, K5TUX, and you have just tuned in to another episode of Linux in the Ham Shack. This one is number 125, and we have an interesting cast of characters on the show tonight. Our beloved Pete, VE2XPL, has been called away for an emergency uh, at his place of business, so he will not be a part of the show tonight. However, with us we have... Cheryl, who uh, currently in XYL, but is planning to get her license at some point, right? That's what I heard earlier. And Well, that's not exactly what I said earlier, but you've only been on me for the last, what, 14 years about getting it. Maybe one of these days I'll make that leap. Maybe. Only Maybe 14. Not. Yeah, okay. Only 14 years. So you don't think that's enough time to study for a 150 question test? It possibly is. I'm not saying that it is, but it possibly is. It possibly is. All right. Yeah. And I might shock you. I might be able to talk the people at Hamvention into giving me a test somewhere in a wheelchair accessible spot, since their testing is not wheelchair accessible, or it wasn't two years ago when I was there. So. Right. Well, we'll see if that happens. It would be nice. Maybe we'll just have to beat them about the head and face until they just bring the test to you. I mean, it doesn't seem like it'd be that hard. No, I wouldn't think so, but you never know. So. And for those who don't already know, we will be at Hamvention. Our Indiegogo campaign was completely successful, exceeded our wildest expectations, and I have started organizing getting everybody's perks together so that we'll start sending out pens, keychains, hats, shirts, USB flash drives, and everything else that people uh, helped us buy for them. The, the booth space up at Hamvention has already been rented. Our hotel room has already been rented. We're already looking at the stuff we're going to bring so uh, we can get our stuff set up up there. And uh, it will be a fun time up in Dayton, Ohio. So I hope that we get to meet all y'all around the 16th. So we probably shouldn't talk too much more about that until I have more information about it. But also on the show with us tonight, who will be talking more with us during the middle segment of this show is uh, Bob Finch, Whiskey 9 Yankee Alpha, who we once had on the show back around July of 2012 to talk about YFK Test, a contest logger for Linux. And there have been some advancements and developments in that arena, so we have him back on the show to talk about that and uh, to interject wherever else he decides 
he wishes. So good evening, Bob. How are you? I am doing great. Thank you for having me. Well, good. I'm glad to hear it. And it's always good to have you on. I remember a little bit of our discussion the last time, and I think we had a good time, and I imagine it will be a good time again. I've had more success with YFK test in the past week or so than I've had in the last two years. So I'm uh, looking forward to a discussion about it uh, as we go forward in the middle segment. Terrific. I'm excited. <laughs> good. Does, doesn't take much, does it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know you that well. well I guess we'll find out. Uh, well, I know you're from the South with the all y'all. Oh, no. That, that's funny because, no, I'm not from the South. I was born and raised in New England. I moved down here 14 years ago, and it rubbed off pretty quick, apparently. Mm-hmm. Seems yeah. to. Seems to. <laughs> I'm in the South, but I'm in New Mexico. We don't consider ourselves part of the South. Uh, yeah, I hear that about Florida, too. Florida? Yeah. That's it's interesting. <laughs> I have a condo in Florida, too, which I never go to. <laughs> oh, can we borrow it? I'm, uh, I think it's leased. Oh, I think it's leased. Of course it is, yeah. Um, all right. So we also have Harrison, uh, VE2HKW, if he has got uh, at least one of his mics working. This is Harrison, uh, VE2HKW, uh, up here and downstairs in the ice-cold ham shack. It's probably time to jump in and take a look at some of the news stories we've got on the, the docket here for the first segment of the show. Uh, these all come to us uh, courtesy of the uh, sleuthing skills of Cheryl. So I'm going to make her actually read the first story here. All righty, then. The first one was TX Factor TV program comes to the web. United Kingdom's first TV show dedicated entirely to amateur radio was launched on the Internet just after midnight UTC on Friday, 21st February. The half-hour show is produced by a group of broadcast professionals who are themselves radio amateurs. Over the coming months and years, the show hopes to explore all aspects of the fascinating hobby and is free to watch at txfactor.co.uk, which, of course, Harrison will get into show notes later, of course. So I yep. will. Yes, of course you will. Has, it, I had not heard of this before. I didn't even know this thing was, was even a thing until I saw this story come through. Has anybody watched this show? And I'm asking the folks who are here talking with us tonight and those folks in the chat room. Um, I saw a description of the first episode uh, at the website that was mentioned just a moment ago. And, of course, I've lost it, so it's not in front of me. But apparently there were three different segments, one apparently involving summits on the air uh, and a couple of other stories that sounded really, really interesting. So I don't know if they um, will will be able to keep up the pace of, of what they're planning on doing, but this sounds like a lot of fun. And I think it's interesting that they're calling it a television program, even though it's sort of a you know video-to-web thing. Other than like uh, Ham Radio Now or and a couple of other podcasts, video podcasts, I'm not aware of any other um, video format shows for for amateur radio so this sounds like it could be a cool thing and uh, i'm at least going to take a look at the first episode and see what it's like it's out there now so people should check it out uh, the first episode was like the story indicated recorded uh the 21st of february 2014 uh it looks like the second episode is going to be released on the 21st of march so i'm getting from that a pattern like it might be released on the 21st of each month so uh, maybe something to look for on that date. And the 21st will actually be right after Hamvention. So I wonder if they're going to include anything about Hamvention in there. That'd be interesting to know. Uh, since it's a, apparently a UK show, 
Perhaps not. But it's not like people from the UK don't go to Hamvention because they do. Anybody heard of this the show? The 21st of March uh-huh. is the next show. That's that's what the website says, yep. Hamvention's in May. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, well, if they do this on the 21st, I, I was thinking ahead of myself. If they do this on the 21st of every month, the 21st of May will be shortly after Hamvention. So I, I wonder if they will include any Hamvention in there. But obviously there won't be any in March. That would be dumb, just like me. So back to the original question. Has anybody seen the show? And I guess, well, uh, now that I've heard about it, I, I plan on watching it. But no, I, I, I've heard of very few uh, British shows. The, the only shows that I've heard of is the IT crowd and uh, Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey comes through the other members of the family. Yeah, I don't think this is quite the same thing. I'm kind of gathering this is um, it's not like it's on the BBC One or anything like that. Uh, KE5WMA in the chat room says he caught the first episode, so maybe he can give us a quick two-sentence summary and whether it was as good or not uh, while we sit here and waffle for a bit uh, and get ready to queue up the second story. So you did you did a great job with the first one, so you want to do the second one too? Because this was the one you really liked. Yeah, I thought this one was quite interesting, although you kind of burst my little bubble and told me it happens all the time. So Well, yeah. I don't know about all the time, but it, this isn't a, you know an isolated incident. Right. Okay, well, the second one was the FCC issues a $7,000 notice of apparent liability to a Texas ham. Uh, this was issued against James R. Winstead, KD5OZY of Coleman, Texas. This was for an alleged violation of sex- Section 97.101D of the Commission's rules by operating a radio transmitter to interfere with the communications of other licensees. On January 21st, an FCC agent monitored interfering transmissions for approximately 30 minutes. The agent used direction-finding techniques to find the source of the transmission, then identified himself to Mr. Winstead and re- uh, requested to inspect his radio station. During the inspection, Mr. Winstead showed the agent how he recorded and retransmitted other amateur licensees' communications. He also admitted that he intentionally interfered with amateur communications on 7.195 and had an ongoing disagreement with another amateur licensee named George. The OCC says that the evidence in this case is sufficient to establish that Mr. Winstead violated Section 333 of both the Communications Act and Section 97.101D of the rules. Winstead was given the customary 30 days to pay the fine, or to file an appeal. <laughs> Buddy, that was kind of what I did last night. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Please go on, Russ. Oh, no, I think I think it's funny, too, especially the part about where the guy was like, oh, and this is how I did it, you know? <laughs> there was more to this story. I cut I cut a fair bit out of the, yeah, the reporting of it. Bit of it that you cut out of it. Is there a minimum IQ you're supposed to have to get a license? I don't know. Apparently it's under 7.195. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But, I mean, I actually thought the seven, well, you know, I guess it's uh, the nature of the infraction, but I've seen other uh, other fines from the FCC issued in much higher amounts than $7,000. But uh, I think they had some pity here. May, maybe so. <laughs> I think I've heard of something up around $25,000 or something like that. Yeah, I believe I've heard of fines uh, in excess of that even. But I guess it's just, you know, how how egregious the infraction really is. Part of the story that I cut out mentioned that the the agent noticed that, the you know, the radio was tuned 
to the frequency that he had been monitoring when when he walked into the shack. And then the guy apparently just confessed to the whole thing. So <laughs> I don't know if he thought the guy would just leave him alone if he if he admitted to it or not. But apparently not, because the FCC slapped him with a pretty hefty fine. So we don't know what the disposition of this will be, but I guess it doesn't pay to uh, get in a you know Hatfield and McCoy feud with your neighbor on on the radio. Or, or better yet, set up an HF repeater. That's kind of what he was doing, apparently. With a little yeah. bit of, it almost sounds like he had a, like a mixing board or a little uh, turntable set up, you know, doing a little with uh, some of his neighbor's transmissions. But that is what it is. Lesson for the kiddies. Cautionary tale. Don't do it. And uh, also, we have a special event station coming up in the UK over in Ireland since St. Patrick's Day is coming up on the 17th of this month, March 2014. Uh, St. Patrick's Day will be celebrated worldwide, but also on the ham radio bands. Ireland's West Tyrone Amateur Radio Club will be putting special event station GB1 SPD, that's Golf Bravo 1, Sierra Papa Delta, on the air from the Struli Arts Center in Oma, in the county of Tyrone, some 70 miles from the city of Belfast. GB1 SPD will be operating on HF, VHF, UHF, and digital. And if you contact these folks on the 17th of March, St. Patrick's Day this year, you'll get a special QSL card. So if you're into catching those special, special stations out there, like the Whiskey Zero S's and the other stuff I actually participated in, well, no, it was actually November Zero Sierra uh, a couple of years ago when they were broadcasting from the Titanic Museum celebrating the uh, 100th year well, I said celebrating then, too, and it's not really celebrating, it's commemorating the 100th anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic. I don't know why I feel like I have to say celebrate when I'm talking about that, but it's another one of those special event stations, so if you want the, the cool little St. Patty's Day card from GB1 SPD, uh, be monitoring the, uh, the HF bands or the VHF bands, if you happen to be in Ireland, uh, on the 17th, and uh, check out GB1 SPD. So uh, that is pretty cool. I might even try for that one because the 17th is actually on a Monday. So I might get uh, a chance to, to work that station, which would be pretty cool. Well, I think the VHF would be like if there's a six-meter opening. But, of course, UHF, uh, you'd have to have some pretty good sunspot activity. Well, for me, yes. But they are planning on operating HF. So I, I think I can get to them one way or the other. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully uh, there's no big... Uh, solar storms that knock out the ionosphere but uh, just curious um i haven't exactly been up to date on all the happenings have you mentioned the uh, arrl stations at all uh, in the podcast or do you not mention those uh the arrl like special event stations you mean yeah like the ones that are happening in each state around the country no, we tend not to do that because, I mean, it's pretty much go to ARL.net if you want to look up any of that kind of stuff. You know, there's Ham Radio Newsline and a, and a couple other places where you can get that info if you want it. We have fun here. We don't talk about news. Newsy stuff is eh. Ah, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I was going to throw in one more thing here about Ham QTH. I get uh, periodic updates from Peter, OK2CQR, who is the author and host of Ham QTH. And when I get those updates, I like to put them out there because I like HamQTH as a call sign lookup application. It's a web app, and it's they also have a public API where you can link your own applications in and use the call sign lookup from uh, HamQTH for your own benefit, and it's free to use. 
You just have to sign up for an API key. It doesn't cost a thing. So uh, I've done that. If you go into our IRC chat and do a dot QRZ space and then a call sign, you will get a call sign lookup from HamQTH, courtesy of Gnorman, our, uh, info, our info gnome. Uh, I guess he's a gnome, courtesy of Richard. And uh, I scripted that using Python, and it's pretty cool. So uh, we like to keep uh, HamQTH in the forefront of people's minds when we get an update. And uh, Peter sent a few things along. He says that he would really like for people who are signed up for HamQTH to include photos in the call sign lookups. So people can see the faces and the rigs and the shacks and the antennas associated with the people when, when folks do a call sign lookup. That's something you can do when you sign up over there. Uh, just you know, log in with your call sign and sign up for a password, and then you can up- upload photos and you know pertinent information about yourself. Uh, he also says that some of the things that have been updated over at HamQTH are the uh, DXCC per band table statistics have been added. The VE callbook is imported once per week, so all of that information is kept current. Now, VE callbook, that's the Canadian callbook, or is that some special callbook? No, it's the volunteer examiner callbook. Oh, okay. Uh, Canada's are not all VEs. There are some VAs, et cetera, et cetera. And VO and VY. Right. Uh, I was just curious, because most people just refer to Canada as VE, because it's kind of the starting call sign, so hence why I asked. Right, right. Now, I'm pretty sure this means volunteer examiner, but I could be wrong, but I think that's what it's all about, since there are call signs from all over the world included in HamQTH, just like there are at QRZ and any other places. Well, it, uh, this isn't meant to start a debate, but I do, I do know that over at uh, QRZ.com, um, the only the U.S. call book is imported automatically. All other call signs you have to go in at manually ask for yourself to be added in or know someone who's already on there and ask them to add your call sign in. They, they don't automatically update based on all of the uh, log or the uh, call sign data sources from governments around the world. All right. Well, I didn't know that, and I don't know that HamQTH does that either, but I know that you can look up you know, all, all call signs from all over the world. I don't know where they get the data from. I'm not sure I've ever been privy to that information. Something we can ask Peter, I suppose. Talk about CQR log. I, ha- I have something to mention to him if you ever have him on again. So I, I already have a topic. <laughs> we, have, uh, we have him scheduled to come on. I've just got to find a good time. Since he's, he's in the Eastern Europe, it's been hard to schedule with him because he either has to be up really late or really early, or we do, and I'm too lazy to be up really early. With that, let's see. There are a couple other things on the list here. Oh, he's added a Google Plus page for HamQTH, so you can find it over there. Apparently, there's a uh, a community where you can get information about HamQTH. And he's also added a DXCC per band chart so, uh, for graphical analysis. This, this seems to be a trend. Lots of different applications are coming up with uh, graphical analytics for all of your QSOs. So apparently, it's something that's becoming popular I guess it's easier to do now, so everyone's doing it. Uh, He also threw in a couple of statistics here uh, that apparently there are over 20,000 registered users right now, so you could be among them if you so choose. Again, free, useful service, and if you don't like all of the ads and the the general kerfuffle associated with QRZ.com, I recommend you check out hamqth.com. 
and especially if you're a programmer, it's a great utility. That is all I got from uh, Peter, OK2CQR, and that's all we have in the first segment for little tidbits of news that you can use uh, from around ham radio. And with that, I have some music, and this time I picked the music, yay, which has been, I don't know, a long time coming. I'm going to have to get back to the window where the music is. Everything's falling apart like it usually does. Well, I have it up in front of me here, and the music you're about to play is Everyone is Fine by Jediah from the album Flight, courtesy of Jamendo. Yep, and I actually had to find the song in order to play it, so I have done that. And uh, as introed by Harrison, this is Jediah with Everyone is Fine, and we'll see you in a minute.
that is Jedaya with Everyone is Fine from the album Flight. A little bit slower pace and lower key than some of the songs we've been playing of late. I think it was time yeah, to go. Yeah, I really like it. Yeah, it was pretty good. Just wait to hear the next one. I think the next one we're going to play is one of the best tracks I've heard probably in the five or whatever years of this show. So, All right, I'll be looking forward to it. Yep, me too. But now I'm looking forward to talking with Bob, Whiskey 9 Yankee Alpha, about YFK Test. It uh, turns out that a couple of episodes ago, we mentioned that there was a notice put up on DJ1YFK's website that he was going to stop development of YFK Test because apparently the application had run its course. And then shortly afterward, Bob popped up and said, uh, no, nope. Uh, totally erroneous. Uh, I'm still maintaining the software, and I'm even making improvements to it as I speak. We're going to find out all about that. But first, Bob, why don't you uh, give us a little rundown, a little recap of like maybe the origin of YFK Test and how you got involved with it and uh, how long it's been around, for one thing. Because uh, I'm pretty sure people don't remember July of 2012. I know I don't. <laughs> Well, I don't go around. I don't go back to the beginning of um, it's and this is folklore to me. So I don't know how true it is. But I got told by somebody at, at headquarters at ARRL who knew Fabian, DJ one YFK, that it was done originally as a class assignment as uh, uh, college classes. <laughs> and uh, that was how it got started. I don't know if that's true or not. But it's been around a gosh darn long time, 04, 05, I think, um, that neighborhood, uh, maybe a year or two later. Um, a number of people have worked on it, and um, about five or six people. Some of them have done some wonderful things with it. Um, but it seems like almost everybody got involved for similar reasons to how I got involved, which was – uh, I didn't want the graphics. I didn't want something that used a mouse. I wanted something that was uh, simple in, uh, and, and had a tendency to work correctly. And, and while it had some stability problems when I got to it, um, they were easily licked. In fact, I enjoyed running it so much that during a contest where I was running Q, QRP Russ um, uh, in the fall, I think, of 2010, if I'm not mistaken, uh, it was it was it was really humorous because it would be it was a DX contest, so I I get to get my slugs in about every two to three minutes. So because it was written in Perl and it's and it's interpretive, I would make changes to the program <laughs> because I noticed a bug, and I I literally sat there and started reprogramming it between QSOs, firing it back up, logging a QSO, and it was um, it was funny and. Uh, that I got started that way with it, and I enjoyed it. It was simple to understand. Um, it was simple to work with, and I just started improving it. I guess I just started doing a lot of it uh, compared to uh, the one other fellow that was working on it at the time, CT1DRB. And uh, pretty soon I was just unofficially the maintainer of it, and uh, that's pretty much the way it's been for a few years. Uh, I should point out that uh, for reasons that are kind of arcane, um, uh, I wouldn't call it a misunderstanding. It was just we weren't in sync, myself and Fabian. So Fabian thought I had decided not to work on it anymore, although he had no input for me one way or the other. And that's why that notice showed up. 
and I was waiting for him to give me web access so I could do some changes, but hadn't but mentioned that I'd like to about a year ago in terms of when he moved the website. And uh, so I contacted him again and said, no, I'm still working on it. He says, great, okay, here, here's your access. And boom, I just started working on it again. And that was a week or two ago. I think it was about a month ago that we made the announcement or we saw that the development had stopped. And yeah, it's probably been about two weeks since you popped up and said, no, no, it isn't. (laughs) And uh, that uh, you put up the new website and everything. Yeah, it's a true open source project in that, um, a number of people can be working on it. Maybe they don't work on it for a while like I did uh, because I got busy in 2013 with other stuff in my life and uh, all good stuff, but I wasn't contesting and I wasn't looking at the code and I wasn't doing anything. So uh, it stopped. Uh, I knew that the web pages needed to be updated, but like I said, I didn't have access at that point. wasn't worried about access because I wasn't doing anything with it. Um, but it's the kind of project, it's, it's, it's really wonderful because uh, uh, the source code is always in front of you being an interpretive um, program, the Perl, being in Perl and uh, programmed in Perl. So it actually interprets and, and, and starts, which is, I, I don't see a problem with that. Some people have an issue with that, but I don't understand what their issue is because uh, to the end user, it doesn't matter really, you know, whether it's interpreted or compiled. Uh, the nice thing is, is that you can always get a fresh copy right off the internet. Uh, where you go for the for it, uh, the code is, is you can literally look at the source code. It's all the same thing. So I, I find that kind of neat. It's kind of inconsequential, but as a programmer, I find it kind of neat. Well, it is kind of neat because as long as you have a Perl interpreter on your system, regardless of what system that is, the code will run. So you don't have to, you know, some people are a little concerned about having to build a piece of software in order to get it to run. Like they'll download the source code, then they have to do a, you know, a configure, make, make, install, or, you know, some other hand waving or whatever to get, to get a piece of software to actually work. But as long as you have the Perl interpreter installed on your machine, you don't actually have to do that. You just download the source package and uh, you go into, you know, whatever directory it creates when you unpack it and run YFK test right from the command line, and it just works because it's all interpreted Perl. Yeah, I, I find it fascinating, and I hadn't done Perl before that, um, but the heart of Perl is the same as the heart of Python and a, a bunch of other the modern languages because uh, Perl is where modern regular expression drew its first great breath. And by that, I mean their regular expressions existed before that, but they were formalized, codified, and all that starts with Perl. And so if you know regular expressions, you pretty much know Perl. Yeah, Perl has become... I, should, should I explain regular <laughs> expressions? Um, no, probably not. I don't think we have to go that deep into it. But Perl has actually, ta- <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Perl has actually taken the, the concept of the regular expression and gone way, way, way beyond that. It is actually a very robust and feature-filled programming language now, rather than just a simple way to manipulate regular expressions. The fact that it's written in Perl aside, what's nice about it is it's very easy to run. It's very fast, of course, because it doesn't require a graphical environment. The only thing it requires is the Perl curses library and, of course, the Perl, the base Perl interpreter. For a Debian-based system, you can achieve both of these by doing an apt-get get install Perl and Perl, or I'm sorry, and libcurses-perl. Um, it does require the curses library on both of the machines that I installed it on from the subversion repository. I didn't have the Perl curses library installed, so it bombed. 
but as soon as I installed it, everything was fine, hunky-dory. So a little bit of a caveat there if you don't have libcurses-perl installed. And, of course, for a Red Hat-based system or an RPM-based distro, it's going to be a slightly different package, but it'll be something similar. It just works, and, of course, if you have Perl installed on your Windows box, uh, should you ever do that for whatever reason, it will also work there. I, I don't have Windows. I've never tried that. That's fascinating. I didn't think it would. The only th- uh, but, uh, the only problem you might have with it is getting the like the win key or audio interface to work. Uh, not the that not, would be hopeless. That would be hopeless. Yeah. <laughs> but as far as just doing uh, plain old logging, it should work just fine. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that's fascinating to know that. Um, I just don't trust uh, Perl isn't written in Microsoft natively. And whenever I've been involved in porting something to Win32 or what have you that's Microsoft, there's always wrinkles that show up. And some of them are quite ugly, and especially with I.O. But um, I don't know. Maybe I, I, I had somebody tell me he couldn't get it running, but I never knew what it was or wasn't that he got running. So uh, that's fascinating to hear that it works. It really is. Well, I, I may be speaking out of turn. It's, I'm, I'm saying theoretically it should work if you, have a, if you have a working Perl interpreter installed, but I have not actually tried it. I probably should do that uh, just to see okay. if it does work. Uh, Perl is ubiquitous in the Linux world. It's just you're not going to find a distribution that doesn't have access to Perl. No. So, yeah, and that that's that's I, I guess that's what you were saying earlier. And yes, it's it's real easy. Just install Perl, and because it is an Encurses window, it's not a Windows or or a GUI, but it is uh, it is a 24 by 80 character window with colors and so forth. And um, and so, yeah, you need N-curses for that. And then if you're going to do any of the I.O., you need that socket INET thing. And that's all covered on the on, on the webpage for YFK test under system requirements. And and so, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it is simple, I think. No, I think so, too. And I when I first reported on this before we had you on the show the first time, I was talking about YFK test and talking about the fact that I couldn't get it to work. Not that I couldn't get it to start up and run, because I could do that. But I couldn't get it to log a contact. And apparently that was just because I was being daft and wasn't using uh, space to navigate the, the input fields. The way I think, when you're going between fields in a program, you always use tab. Now, I've recently, and dis- that is not- I've recently and discovered... And because of your comment, yeah. we changed it. And it's now a configuration option. Yeah, which is the... Is- the point I was just going to make, because I saw in the configuration yeah. that you can now switch it so that it's either space or space and tab, which is perfect for me because I can I can remember one of those things. Well, the it, the default is is that tab will throw you to the to the call sign field, and that because typically if if you're um, if you're not um, you know one of the top ops, but you or even if you are, but you're trying to get through a pileup or what have you in the middle of a contest. Um, you've already logged the guy's particulars, whatever they be, like on field day, his section and his state. But what you may not get right is the call sign, and that's where you're most likely to have the biggest problems. So your idea is like a hotkey right back to the call sign field using the tab that way. And so that's why it's it's either tab plus space or tab is a hotkey to get back to the to the call sign field. And that was the thought there, and that that. Um, it was your input on a number of areas that made. I made a lot of changes in the program based on on uh, your input originally, and and there's uh, including the startup screen, which tells you the five things that you need to know right away, 
and and all that. Those that was all based on your experience. So you were you were great. The feedback was wonderful. Oh and, well, uh, I still I, I still appreciate it. Well, I I appreciate that something came out of feedback. Usually people just take umbrage and say, screw it, I've done it this way, and I'm not going to, you know, I don't care what you think. <laughs> but uh, Well, I, what, what Harrison brought up on, on the chat room uh, in the last day or so is fascinating. I don't consider it a bug, but it's interesting because I don't know that there's a good resolve because he's using YFK tests in a very unusual way, and he's come up with uh, unusual behavior. I don't know that there's a resolution. I, I'm still waiting for that last piece of information, Harrison, your screenshot. And, uh, and I'm still waiting for an email address to send it to. And Oh, just the one on the web page will work. Oh, okay. I forgot to yeah. take a look. That's okay. Oh, That's fine. Yeah. It'll be set right now. <laughs> oh, terrific. <laughs> See, we're troubleshooting on the air. That's troubleshooting cool. during a contest and troubleshooting on the air. This is great. And I actually have some more feedback for you about something that may or may not be a bug, but we'll get to that in a minute. We should probably get to uh, more of the fundamentals of YFK test before I get to more uh, sure. uh, arbitrating bugs. Um, I do. I did put down a bunch of notes here, and one of the notes that I mar- oh, that I wrote down was actually the thing about the the starting splash screen, which I find incredibly useful because. It, it wasn't apparent to me that the Alt-C command, which is to go into the configuration dialog, actually existed before the splash screen was created. If you don't know that there's a configuration screen where there's a bunch of things that you can change, it's very hard to navigate YFK test. And I, that's a documentation problem, because up until a couple of weeks ago, the web page would tell you that there were no configuration. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it turns out there are one of the corrections I made about well a few days ago. Yeah, it turns out that there are lots of configuration options you you can make in uh, YFK test, and when you fire up YFK test for the first time, well, for the first time and every time actually, um, you get the splash screen, and it tells you some useful things. Like the very first thing you should do is make sure you don't have your caps lock turned on. The second thing is how to get to the help, which is to use Alt-O, and how to get to the configuration screen, which is Alt-C, both things that you're going to want to know. The third thing is about how to enter an exchange and uh, how to use the F2 key to properly log CW contacts, which is very useful. Uh, Fourth, about... Uh, using rig control and wind gear uh, if you happen to be doing CW mode contest logging, uh, which I don't do, but I know lots of people do do, so that's very helpful. Uh, and also the fifth thing then is how to load a previously written contest log file so that you can resume logging uh, if you need to stop logging for some reason, whatever that might be. One of the things that came up for me right out of the box when I was using YFK test was how horridly ugly the color schemes are. Now, you suggested using, well, it defaults to color scheme zero. There are four default color schemes. All of them, for me, are terrible because, <laughs> <laughs> because they're, they're very bright. <laughs> they're very gaudy, bright, in-your-face type color schemes, and that may be useful to somebody, but it's not useful to me. I like things very low contrast. I'm thinking about a nighttime mode, a low contrast. Well, I have written you a color scheme for low contrast mode, so if you want it, I will really? send it to you. Yep. <laughs> Terrific. I'd uh, certainly like to see it. I don't mind the yes. default colors, yes. mode, but I'd like to see the others. Uh, and what you came up with there, Russ. Okay, well, um, 
I, I don't have, uh, you know, right access to the subversion repo, but I can certainly post the patch somewhere. But we had a problem with one of the one of the guys, and I don't want to go into too much detail because it's not polite. But we had to shut down. One guy was not updating before he committed, and so he would he would completely wipe out two two or three weeks of other people's work. <laughs> okay, yeah, which is something you can do in Subversion, um, well, SVN repositories, and you have to work at it to use it that way. But apparently, this was very normal for him. And he didn't understand what he was doing wrong. And he'd all, he, he'd update everything, too. He not only committed the file he was working on, he commit everything. So he didn't update. He didn't test after he updated. And then he didn't commit the specifics. He never updated uh, on a timely basis. He never tested his work vis-a-vis what was in the SVN. And then he'd wipe out all the changes. And uh, after several instances of this, we started limiting access to repositories, unfortunately. But it, it's it's made it a lot saner process. But uh, uh, I try and respond to everything. So, yeah, just send it on as an email. Okay. Well, that certainly makes sense. I, I mean, And then I attribute everybody who contributes something that somebody contributes. Cool. I'd like to have my uh, name and a piece of code. That would be awesome. <laughs> outstanding. Uh, even if yeah. it is just well, a color definition. Well, no, it's fine. I mean, you'll get attributed in the... Uh, in the uh, notes, right? There's a note to every change, and uh, you'll you'll be attributed there, and possibly in the code as a comment. I can't see why I wouldn't do that. So uh, if you come up with a neat color scheme, I can comment the code. Yeah, there's you know, sure. Right. Well, in, in my particular version of the code, I actually updated. I, I actually added a color scheme and added and changed the uh, config setup script so that I could select it from within the menu. So I, I noticed that there one one thing that's nice about YFK test is it's pre-programmed for tons of different contests. Um, the only thing I've ever used it for is uh, the AWRL's field day because that's really the only contest I participate in. But uh, give us an idea of some of the other things that it can do. Well, I think the current list is forty-seven contests. Um, I counted them the other day, and that's the number that sticks in my mind. It, it should be close. And uh, the neat thing is, is within the last, some original code was put in many years ago by, I think it's WS6C or WC6S. I'd have to go look it up, but um, he's attributed in the code. And he came up with a clever idea for, it's almost object-oriented, but it, you can you can create, you can add to the scoring file in either the way it multiplies you can, you can change some of the algorithms for the scoring, including how the multipliers work, what they look at, and um, uh, uh, how the scoring is done, the final scoring, from inside the contest definition file. So you don't have to mush around in some really arcane code like uh, the Perl routine for scoring is, is a mess. And that's because everybody contributed piece by piece. So you get this long listing. If it's this contest, go do that. If it's not another, and it, it, it's it's long and burdensome to go through and look at. And there were also some generic problems because uh, with it. So I spent a lot of time in there getting it to run. And uh, but this other fellow had, uh, I think his name's Bob also. But this other fellow had uh, years ago wanted to do this. So I got him on the phone. He's a guy in California and we talked about it a bit and and uh, um, he just threw this code out there. He's a professional programmer, but it's kind of nice. And you can inside the contest definition file, which is in the DEF 
subdirectory are all the contests. And it outlays a whole bunch of parameters, but now you can use it to put code in the def file and it'll be inserted into the program as it runs for multiplying and scoring. So it, it allows some lat latitude to adding your own contest. Now there aren't really any restrictions. Um, and when I say any, I'm, I'm using that in quotes because, uh, uh, again, these were all add-ons. So there's, at some point, a redesign or a reconsideration may be appropriate. But uh, it does take care of the problem that for years people had to muck around in the code to add contests. And now you, you really shouldn't have to. I won't say you won't have to, but you can really do it from a simple flat file. The unfortunate thing is the code that you're adding, the algorithms are in regular expression. So you have to understand that to make it fly. And uh, just as a note, it's uh, WS6Z. I went and looked in the SVN repository for the call There sign. you go. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. See, you can be on the air and coding at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can be on the air and looking at a SVN repository <laughs> in Firefox, at least. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, yeah, uh, I don't know if that answered your question, but it, it's it's got a surprising number of contests because everybody that's ever dealt with it, including uh, 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 Fabian, uh, YFK. He's a ferocious contester, and so a lot of this is his doing. Uh, I added a few, maybe 10 or but uh, 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 DRB added some stuff, including the CW Ops contest, and uh, we're both members of that, so I do appreciate him adding that. That was really cool. Um, and a lot of them I, I won't go into, like EU Sprint. I don't run EU Sprint, but... Uh, and uh, while I'm a second-class operator, I'm not a first-class operator, so I don't participate in any of the FOC contests, but it's in there. And uh, uh, have you guys heard of SOC, second-class operator? I have not. Uh, no. Oh, look it up. It's a hoot. And I'll just <laughs> leave it at that. It's a hoot. All right. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and what's really nice is the de-expedition mode, because then you can just use it as a generic logger very fast. Um, very, very fast. Um so it has those capabilities, too. It's not designed to replace um, an X log or, or something like that. But it is it is a you know, it is it is a very, a very quick get it up and running in the expedition mode. And it just flies. Well, so that's that's a feature that I really like about it. I like not having to have a graphical environment about it, too, because if you're using a low powered machine, especially maybe in a in a field operation like for field day, if you're running uh you know, on emergency power or something like that, and you just have a little netbook or something, uh, and you don't want to have to deal with a big heavyweight, you know, desktop environment or anything like that. It's it's very quick to use, and I didn't know about the the de expedition type mode, but I think that would actually help me out a lot when I'm doing. I I'm a part a participant in the thirty nine oh five Century Club nets and some of those contacts. What's really nice for me is that um, for some reason. There aren't many stations in Arkansas uh, that do HF work, especially on the digital nets. So when I decide to jump on those things, I get flooded with contacts. I mean, it's a directed net, but it's almost like a pileup uh, when Arkansas gets on the air. Uh, using this instead of their super heavyweight proprietary 3905 Century Club logger would be great. And uh, now that I've actually gotten this thing to work for me, I might use that instead. And, and I'll tell you, it's, it, it is set up uh, what a contester would want in a de-expedition. Uh, 
you send out maybe an RST, but it's always 5NN. So, <laughs> <laughs> so all that's preset, and all you do is log in a call and hit and enter and switching frequencies, and that's it. And you're just going to town. And um, there's not a lot going on, but there's enough. And uh, it, it's just a really fast logger for that. Well, maybe I maybe I actually need to look at the contest definition files then and see if there's some way I can adapt this to the 3905 Century Club because I will say that one of the things sure. about logging for that that's important is the RST, and it is required. It can't always be 5.9. So uh, maybe I, are there – I noticed that in using Field Day that it defaults to 5.9, and as far as I can tell, there's no way to change that because probably you're always sending Field Day? Yeah. Well, let me fire it up. Uh, I'm not sure what you see how long since I run it. I got to fire it up, but let me do that um, while we're on the while we're here. I just fired up the de expedition mode so I could talk about it. But uh, I don't think you can uh, change uh, the uh, RS or RST any of well, the there, from what I understand. Well, yes, you can. That's oh, not okay. entirely true. Right. Um, yeah, there is a five nine nine in there, and that's a matter of the display thing. Um, and this is one of the things I've been toying with. All right. It's just a hard feel to remove it and then bring it back and whether it's there or not. Um, I'm not one of the things I'm trying not to do is I don't want more than a page of configuration options. So I'm being kind of jealous about what I do and don't add, because then I'm trying to keep everything down to one screen, no matter what you're doing. So the help the help page shows up in one screen. Um, uh, So there are certain things I wouldn't do that I've been requested to do. Uh, doesn't mean somebody else can't add it for their own use, but um, what about using uh, a 132 column like, terminal? Well, exactly. And I, these are things that I've toyed with. The problem is, is that I could end up with three or four pages configured, and I'm trying to keep it in 24 by 80. And I may have to break down. I don't know. Uh, one thing somebody asked me for was to label the fields, and I think once you start running a contest, I can't imagine, you know. They're not terribly complicated. You shouldn't be worrying about what the label is, especially with the log sitting up there. The fields are different enough that you can see them. I think on one of the contests, I did experiment around. I'd have to go look at which one. If you're going to run a contest with the call sign and four fields, you have to drop the uh, 599 nonsense or the 59 nonsense. You have to you have to get rid of the scent. But there's no reason you can't use one of the fields for because it views RST and RSTS as two separate items. And if you look at the code really, really closely, there is a way to make a field that's that's RST, call it something else, make it your scent field, and fill out a Cabrillo log accordingly. So um, there's room for that. You just have to use it in a, bit, a little bit of a twisted way when you write the def file. And the def files, there is some exception. I'd have to go look at the code. It has been now 18 months since I looked at this at least, but I know there's a contest where I got rid of it. And I think it's in the SVM where I got rid of, got rid of the five, the, the static RSTS field um, that just shows up because I needed the real estate. Right. Well, this does probably, sense? yeah, it, it does to me, but it's probably something we can, uh, we can discuss offline because it's kind of out of the realm of yeah. what we want to talk about here. It is very arcane. It yeah. is very arcane. <laughs> and, and I, <laughs> Try not to make it arcane, but I want to answer your question. So, uh, all right, my bad. <laughs> no problem. I did. I did want to ask you I, since since you just yeah. sort of jumped into it again after after some time away. 
Um, and, and I know you've been working on it fast and furious, um, since the, you know, sort of announcement that it was going to be discontinued and now you've jumped back in and tried to, you know, I haven't, I haven't made any coding. Okay. Strictly documentation, strictly documentation. So nothing, nothing exactly changed. No bug fixes, no updates, nothing like that. Just, uh, documentation strictly. Right. Well, um, over the last year and a half, nobody's really written me about any substantive bugs that turned out to be in YFK tests. There's been some issues with Hamlib that turned out to be Hamlib. Um, now, it uses Hamlib very unconventionally. I know Harrison and I were dealing with this in the last day or so. If, it's, if, if something's being sent in, it just looks at it. And that's the best. I think that's what's going on. So you can end up with a weird log. And I wanted to, I'm going to go look at that email right now. But um, So it's showing the band mode without the frequency recording frequency in the actual log, which, uh, uh, because it's being sent, it's being received. You correct me if I'm wrong, Harrison, you were running another logging program simultaneously and it was using rig control. Um, this is where things start getting confusing. And that was probably one of the problems when you were talking earlier, but, uh, when, uh, when I initially did the test today with you or, um, mm-hmm. To tell you what was happening, I forgot to close CQR log, which right. also was open, and it was uh, using rig control for my IC735. Yeah. Um, and when a CQR log was using the rig control and YFK test was running, YFK test would not lock up. That was that was another um, related but unrelated issue. Um, and it's well, you found that it, you found that interesting. The two could be running and not lock up. Right. Yeah, because FL Digi and CQR log when they like FL Digi says, "Hey, someone else is using this. Uh, back off." Type type thing. Whereas um, uh, YFK test, uh, it gets along with the CQR log. Now I didn't try it with FL Digi to see if it was just FL Digi's problem, but uh, anyway, uh, when... I don't know that that's a problem. I don't think Hamlide is meant to be used that way, and so it may be a protection thing that FL Digi uh, potentially. Uh, I'm not an expert in this. I just know that one doesn't like the other. Well, that's interesting. Well, anyways, the upshot was is that you somehow got a log where uh, in the actual log file, it has a band, which may be 20, but it's got a frequency of uh, on 10 meters that's being logged from the radio, uh, which is fascinating. You wouldn't think that would happen. So because the radio, did you have two different radios on at the same time, one in, one in, one in Hamlib and one not? Like, what do you mean by two? I only have all right, one right. HF this radio. Is getting, this is getting harder. Okay, all right. Well, okay, but did you have two running? Uh, In other n- words, no. There, there oh, are two, two there. program. No. In, in the log you're viewing, the, only YFK test was running. No, no, that's not the question I'm asking. In the okay, this is, this, this is how you do troubleshooting, everyone. Everyone who's listening, this is how you do troubleshooting. You know, you got to ask the right question, and I'm still working on asking the right question. So. It's an educational experience, I think. Uh, the uh, why, if, why would you have switched to 20 meters, but the radio is still on 10? Because you actually have a log where it shows 20 meters, but there's a frequency from 10 meters. Um, let me let's see here. It's almost uh, like Hamlib was running. It still thought the radio was on because uh, another logging program was up. The radio had been ignoring the, rig con- the Hamlib rig control. You would actually switch bands, but now Hamlide wasn't taking the information from the radio, and it still had another frequency. And you've got a log where it shows, because there's two logs. If you look at the actual log itself, it has a slot for band, 
and it has uh-huh. a slot frequency, and it just takes whatever HamLive is telling us. So if HamLive, if if HamLive's still running, all right, it's just going to log that information, and I think that's what was going. On. So you had two or three simultaneous problems with your hookup, and you actually have a log entries that have. It's showing that it's on 20 meters because that's that you do manually from inside mm-hmm. YFK tests. And it's got a frequency that's being written to by hand lights. And I just found that fascinating. That is the root of everything you experienced right there. How that happened with ham lights is a combinational thing. Probably two or three things wrong at the same time in your setup. Mm-hmm. And that would be my guess at night. Now that I have all the parts here, I'm still guessing, but... That's the only thing that makes sense looking at the code. It, well, it makes sense on this end. Anyway, uh, okay, you have anything to say, Russ? <laughs> there was an interesting problem, Harrison. It truly was. I don't have anything to say about that, but you know, if we're if we're done troubleshooting, I can move on. <laughs> yes, please, oh, we're not I'm done sorry. troubleshooting, but uh, you can move on anyways. All right. Well, you can. Yeah. You, you have all the time in the world to talk with uh, with Bob about this, and that, I, well, that, that, that's it. We're done. I don't have any other <laughs> contribution. <laughs> Well, it actually uh, brings brings me to the next question I had jotted down with, which is what support options are available for YFK test? Or is it is it you? Like, if someone has a problem with it, are you going to be the person who answers the question? Or uh, are there forums? I'll try. Or... <laughs> <laughs> no, there's no forum. I can't keep up with all that stuff. Uh, over the last several years, uh, I've been able to handle everything by email. And I know that seems strange. A form might be nice, and there is a possibility of that because uh, uh, actually two things are going on, and I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. So, um, one, we're we're going to uh, uh, Fabian would love to see the program change names. Why I don't know, and I haven't bothered to ask him, but he he'd love for it to change names. Um, he'll still be involved, uh, certainly a hosting basis, uh, but he'd love to see the. I kind of like the name, but um, for some reason he wants to change it. Maybe he wants to do a different YFK test. I have no idea. And I haven't broached the subject with, but um, as to why. But uh, we both talked about it back and forth on the email, and we're going to have a contest. And if you'd ever want to name a contest logging program, go ahead and let's have a contest. Send me your submission and uh, hopefully somebody will send us at least one submission because <laughs> Fabian's idea stunk and he even admitted it. So <laughs> Hopefully it's not N0MM. <laughs> right, there you go. N1MM, Linux. So, uh, um, and then, yeah, this is, uh, I'm not going to even tell you what Fabian wrote. So, uh, so we're going to do a name changing. And the other thing is, is that maybe we'll, we will have a form um, where things can get discussed. And uh, that's certainly an option in the future. It was very limited due to the resources on the original host, but that's all changing. So the ability to do that kinds of things could happen. And I won't say they will, but there's uh, if it makes sense, I don't see why it couldn't happen. Right. I just so, don't know that it makes sense right now. Right. For the time being, that's, it's just – uh, yeah, no, no, no. It answers the question, but – uh, for the time being, if someone has an issue, I assume you have your uh, email address over on the website so they can uh, email you about, you know, issues or, you know, comments or feature upgrades or anything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I would like to think I've been very receptive to that. Um, everybody I talk to, if they have a point of view, there's very few things I reject. I will give you an example of one thing I did reject, just completely out of hand. And somebody wanted me to label the fields so they would know what was being asked. 
And I mentioned that briefly earlier. And I just couldn't think of any reason, and I still can't. And it's just if you if you you if you're four contacts into a contest and you don't know what the fields are, you shouldn't be there. <laughs> I mean, you know, write it down on a piece of paper and stick it on your computer. I I don't know, but it just didn't. I wasn't gonna wait. I wasn't gonna waste real estate. Um, one of the options, configure operations, if you're a CW operator, is is that you can use. Uh, uh, you can create a field which indicates what's going on uh, with the function keys, which are your pre-canned CW keys, so that you know you know you if you forget whether it's F4 or F5, you just it's right there on the screen for you. Um, that made sense to me. Labeling the input fields didn't make any sense. So that's an example of something I'll reject. Um, but that doesn't prevent you from going ahead and forking the project and putting that in yourself. It is open source. Absolutely. What what do you what do you see for uh, future development in YFK test? I mean, are you planning to to augment it in any way, or are you just going to take suggestions and you know add or subtract based on what what feedback you get, or do you have a plan? I don't have a plan. Uh, I got into this because I enjoyed running it. Um, I was tired of going for the last to New Mexico. I haven't had a regular group I field day with. I kind of loan, loan out my CW skills and show up, you know, with whatever. Although one year we did run W9YA in the QRP category. We did okay. I think third nationally, something like that. I forget fifth nationally, but the, uh, you know, I, I just, I farm out and, uh, make a long story medium length. I've been burdened with programs that I don't want to see YFK grow into. And uh, I won't mention any names, but last year we lost contacts like crazy. And it was a Windows logging program, and uh, it was a complete mess. And what I don't want to see is the complexity become so great that actually getting something in the log is, is not going to happen. You know, you make the contact, you hit the enter key, you think it's in the log, and it ain't. So uh, I think my limits are based on keeping it simple, keeping it easily usable, and not losing contacts. And for gosh sakes, a CW operator doesn't need a mouse in the way. Right. If it's got to, if it's got to have a mouse to run, I'm not in. Yeah, and what, those are personal. Yeah. Right. Pardon? No, I was just gonna. I was gonna move on. <laughs> um, that that's interesting, and I, I think it's a good it's a good place to be. Um, one thing I did want to say is that wh- one of the things I really like about YFK test is that it's it's all done, at least as far as the data aspects of it, it's it's all done flat files. Uh, the input yeah. the input configuration is all in a text file, and when you export your data, you get a text file, you get a Cabrillo file, and you get an ADIF file. So you you basically have you know, your contest log data in any format you would really ever need it in. Uh, no complicated databases on the back end, nothing special. Everything's just straight up ASCII text. So there's not that much going on. And um, I was talking about field day real quick. And, and, and the reason I bring that up and I would farm out to do field day, tying it all together was, is that I just can't stand those other loggers. Um, and that's one of the things, a flat file base, no mouse. But um, one, of, one of the things we will be adding, my, if I'm going to do something big, it's going to be some kind of network. Um, a lot of the multi-multi teams have certain things that they liked or want to do with networking. And uh, if I'm going to have a big challenge down the road, and it could be somebody else's big channel challenge, but the rudiments of networking there are there. 
Uh, it's even in the log file. If you'll notice that the uh, flat log says STN1, and that's that's the reserve field for, for uh, networking stations. And um, it allows a master log to be combined and then taken apart. Uh, and uh, so a lot, and those rudiments were there as they exist uh, before I looked into the project in 2010. So um, that would be a goal. And you asked earlier about, you know, in the future, that is one thing that down the road would be neat to have. Um, what that looks like, how it operates, how much of the config file will be devoted to that, so forth and so on, is entirely up in the air. None of that, whatever notes I have on it, are meaningless. So uh, that's a wide open thing. If somebody wants to contribute it and it makes sense, you know, great. Um, and I see that in the future. And that would tie up the one loose end of it because it really is, it's not, it doesn't have any form of networking built in. And I'll give you one quick example of some of the networking I've been asked to add. Uh, this goes back a couple of years ago. Um, one of the multi-mult teams here where I live uh, likes the fact that they can send a contact in certain contests over between from like the 40 meter station and the 20 meter station. And it will show up as uh, as a note and the info, the logging info from, let's say, the 40 meter station that just contacted, let's say, VE2 uh, HKW and the 40 meter operator who just had that contact with VE2 HKW can say, can you can you meet? you know, my other station on 20, and they say yes, and the logging information shows up on the 20-meter screen with a request to uh, QSY to a specific frequency and, and deal with this guy. Or if if your companion station is running, you know, it would you would say, uh, this guy's in the queue. I just worked him on 40, and he's waiting for you. And uh, that's, that's, that's the kind of neat networking stuff. Uh, that would be really handy to have. The multi-mult stations would love those kinds of features. So, yeah, um, it sounds that, interesting. Which actually kind of dovetails into the, I think, the last question I was going to ask you, which is, are you looking for other developers? And it kind of sounds like if if someone wanted to jump in and contribute some networking code, you'd be all for that. I would. I do have that proviso. We did have another contributor for a while, and I don't want to get into the particulars or the name, but he was screwing up the repository rather rather thoroughly. And uh, so how that takes place, what that contribution would look like, uh, don't know at this time. Um, uh, there was also a language problem with the fellow that was screwing up. He didn't understand what I was asking him to do or not do or procedures or whatever. So it was very, very, it was a difficult time. Um, that's not to say that I'll ever have a difficult time again, but I got to guard against that because it, it created about four times the amount of work uh, at one point than I was actually doing coding. So um, it's just something I, I had to put a stop to. But yeah, no, we're definitely looking with that proviso. Yeah, I don't see why not. And uh, if if you think I'm uh, not your cup of tea, fork the project and do it. But yeah, <laughs> the project does need that. And uh, uh, it is the next big thing. It is one thing I think that's missing. I did mean to ask a, a little while ago about, um, like, when I use the ARRL contest, it doesn't do any actual field validation, does it? Or does it? Yes, it does. And it can. Um, that's part of the def file. And uh, by way of example, I'm just going to pull one up. Um, 
because the structure and, and some of these are structured better than others. I'm going to look at one real quick. Hold on. Uh, it's not an ARRL one, but uh, uh, and, uh, you know, it is tough to do this. If I'm not talking, I don't have a problem. I can listen to code. <laughs> work a contest and change it. But I don't, if, if you, uh, if you look at, um, does it change screens? Okay, there we go. If you look at, uh, UBA hyphen FD dot def, and that, that's a DX contest, but, uh, um, you'll notice that everything is going on. So there's a length of an exchange field. There's a, a check. So you got the contest name. There's a whole bunch of things laid out and, uh, this one's properly annotated. Uh, and it's an example of inserting code, too. And I must say, those annotations time. really helped when I tried making my own def files. Mm -hmm. And uh, and some of these are old, and they're in the wrong location, or they're not laid out right. And I know how that happened, and it wasn't me. And <laughs> But uh, that was a more recent contest where the score was even. And this was a contest I did on request for. And... Uh, and uh, uh, anyway, so you go down a the list, there's the length of the exchange field. And on some of the contests, it can be variable. And that, that's easily handled in in, uh, in the regular. Then there's the regular expression section. And um, and it shows you the possible characters. And for instance, for field number two, the regular expression for complete valid exchange in, uh, I'm sorry, field number one could be three or four characters of zero through nine. And it, the characters have to be zero through nine. Um, some of them, you could, you could go a capital N or M or lowercase n or M, that would be field number three, uh, so forth, or field number four. Yeah, and uh, so forth. So there, that's all there. Um, then there's the Cabrillo definition and uh, what we discovered earlier tonight in some troubleshooting uh, before the show was is that a Cabrillo file never wants to see banned per QSO. So the QSO fields are laid out in terms of how big they are and what's in them, what it looks for from the main log, and what it's going to use for a name for the Cabrillo file, and so forth and so on. There's even the CW that you can preload your CW definitions for the uh, for the function keys for the uh, keyer. And then there's you've got the begin score if you're looking at this and blah, 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 blah. And that's a code insertion. And you can see that um, it changed. Some of the stations that were got special score points, and so forth and so on. So um, and all uh, you know, it's it's all laid out for you. So that would that's a classic example. So yes, there is strong there. Now you can do lousy checking on it. You can ignore checking altogether. That's the function of the def file. But the program will do strong checking, type checking, and on the fields if you wanted to. All right. Well, that's that's actually speaks to the power of the uh, Perl in the fact that it's uh, based on manipulating regular expressions and sort of the robustness of a definition file, giving you the flexibility to set up a contest any way you like. And with uh, 40 plus pre-programmed contests, people who don't know anything about def files or Perl uh, can use all of these and you know, know that the data they're entering has actually got some checking going on, which is really And handy. the def file is a, right, exactly. And the def file is a construct that I, I don't do a lot of Perl. I never did any Perl before I came to this program. So, but I'd never seen def files used. This is just a construct. It's kind of like expanding Perl to do that um, in, in a roundabout kind of interesting way. All right. Well, I will so, say that YFK test is 
far more interesting and robust than I ever thought it was a couple of years ago when we, when we first came across it or when I personally first came across it and we discussed it the first time around. Uh, but it's definitely something I'm going to continue to talk to you about because I have a few ideas and a few things that I'd like to see in it. And, uh, you know, I, I might even add a few things, uh, of my own because I see some benefit in, in, uh, and, and use in the program that I did not see before, especially when I couldn't get it to work because I'm an idiot. Um, <laughs> but uh, I never called you that. No, 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 no. That's a self self named self titled. <laughs> uh, oh so let me uh, let me give you a few seconds, if you would, if there's anything else you want to say about this before we go ahead and wrap this up um, and uh, well, move I on. Hope you added this because I got kind of long one. Um, I've been trying to give very thorough and, uh, um, I think during the first interview, uh, I kept it nice and sweet. And so, um, that lack of detail can sometimes be sorely missed. Um, which is why until recently, I think you never really understood it. It looks too simple to be as involved as it is, but I will close with this to do the logging correct. Um, cause there's another trait that some logging programs have. And that's uh, quite honestly that some of them don't care how well they score. Uh, some people that generate contests don't care, don't understand for quite human reasons. People that create contests don't understand that there can be confusing things. So you, they get different scores. Uh, but there are some people like the, some logging programs that don't care. They don't they don't write a letter to the contest sponsor and say, hey, could you clarify this for me? Because uh, I could see this being the algorithm being two different ways, and we'll get two different results scoring. And uh, I tried very hard for a couple of years. I contacted every contest that I thought there was a problem when I was writing the scoring algorithms. And uh, it, it was really funny, Russ, because um, uh, a lot of the contest, but the, as I said, some of the people that originate contests didn't know there was some confusion. But um, uh, some of the logging programs solve that confusion by not even caring. <laughs> and so you'll hear reports on the end. We know this logger doesn't score right, but it's pretty and I'm used to it. And, and I always want to make sure if it, if I had any control or I could get a proper answer, I always tried to, to make sure it scored correctly. And uh, Pearl is fascinating because it made it really easy to do. Yeah, and I'm not even sure tools. that's... I'm not even sure that's something we discussed on other logging applications when it comes to contesting, whether or not the application actually did scoring, because I kind of think that we were under the general assumption that people just wanted the contest logger to do the login and they'd figure out the scoring afterwards and, um, you know, on their own and didn't really talk about whether the program, where the application itself actually did the scoring. So, uh, well, yeah, no, we didn't. And, and what's fascinating is that some contests are so poor that they just assume the, the loggers are incorrect and they'll just rescore everything now that comes in. And that's fascinating. And then the, uh, then there's, of course, there's check logs and that the, when you submit your log, it goes through a log checker. So a lot of this stuff's getting automated, but perhaps the funniest thing was there was a contest recently in the last couple of years that I was asked to look into. And I said, I can't make a score for this. And they asked why. And I said, because, they, the score is based on information is, that's not sent to you about, from the other station, and that's the way the contest was created. They actually, somebody actually created a contest where you were, your score was based on a multiplier 
that was never sent to you from the other station concerning the other station. <laughs> so they had you didn't even get you didn't even get a you got no points for a QSO unless the other station also sent in their log. <laughs> Sounds like a nightmare for the yeah. contest coordinators. And, right. <laughs> and then, and it was information that came in with the other hug as to whether or not you got some kind of multiplier. Oh, I mean, talk about the other foot. That is yeah. a classic example. And we've actually succumbed to that level where because <laughs> you never would have heard about this a few years ago. That right. would have been that would have been a crazy. But now somebody actually invented a contest. People enter it and nobody thinks anything about it other than because. You know, I said, I can't score this. And the guy said, why not? And I explained it to him. He said, okay, that's fine. So, <laughs> I mean, All right. Well, I think I uh, we probably should go ahead and wrap this up. I don't even know how long we've been talking, but I know it's a while. So, uh, uh, about you got it. Yeah, about an hour. Yeah, that's that's about uh, 45 minutes longer than I thought the segment was going to go. Oh, you got to edit this. you got to edit this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll see what I can do to get it down to a manageable size. But anyway, regardless of that. Three I want... minutes. Three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so, three. Uh, it's good to have you on again, Bob. Thanks uh, for coming on and talking about Thank YFK you. test. And I, I know it will be a project that we'll be looking forward to in the future. And I'm actually going to sort of dive in and get a little bit involved with it. And I hope others will as well. Oh, that's exciting. And I listen, I appreciate coming. It's, it's, uh, it's very kind of you to have me. On. It really well, was. It's, it's good to talk to you again. I'm glad to have you on. I'm glad to hear about uh, all the good things going on with YFK tests. So, uh, Thanks, thanks for participating, and uh, you're welcome to hang around for the last segment if you like, or you can uh, disappear if you like, whichever you prefer. Um, I got one comment. All right. I hope you don't edit out. There's an example of an external contribution. I should have mentioned this earlier, and maybe you can forward edit this. Um, Carlin, uh, N5OE, just out of the blue said, you know, was asking me how to set it up, and I, I gave him what docs to look at, and he created a PDF that's now on the front page you can link to. Uh, that and he's and he's going to be revising it. He says he's working on it right now, and it's under the doc session, under setup doc. Um, and that's an example of a contribution from somebody else that I was thrilled to get. Uh, documentation is always good, especially for the folks that we. You know, sort of feel are the general listening population of the show who are not necessarily, you know, really into Linux or, you know, just sort of getting in and may need a helping hand in using some of these software packages. And that's, you know, documentation is probably the best help we can give. And of course, links to all of this stuff will be in the show notes. So we will have that oh, for, for, for folks to look. So thanks again, Bob. It's good to talk to you, like I said. And, um, Thanks for all your contributions to YFK Test, and uh, perhaps we will talk again in the future. Uh, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. I had fun tonight. Thank you again. All right. Same here. So with that, we're going to close this segment of uh, Episode 125 with some more music. And uh, as I mentioned before we did this first segment, this is one of my favorite pieces of music that I've heard in a long time. And I hope the rest of you enjoy it as well. Uh, it's a song called Che. C H E with a little accent over the E. It's by Looks a group. Like an yeah, accent goo. Uh, the, the group is Czech, so I don't think this is French, but maybe it is. I don't know. It's by a band called Tula, and the album is Springs. Um, I got this off of Gemendo, and actually, I heard it the first time off of the Bugcast, uh, which is a UK podcast that does uh, Creative Commons music, so you should check them out uh, at thebugcast.org. 
I'm going to go ahead and play this, and I hope everyone enjoys it. We'll be back in a couple of minutes to uh, wrap up with some feedback and so on and so forth. And if I push the right button, we might actually hear something. So here we go.
Okay, that uh, that song is just infectious to me, and I think if you don't like it, there's something wrong with you. Very nice. I, one, I should go one back of the best and ones I've heard on the show. Yeah, I, I thought so too. I I really did. I, I love that song. I've I've listened to it probably twenty times since I first heard it. Uh, again, it was a song called Che by a group called Tula. Um, that we got off Tula. Uh, well, I, I think it's Tula, T H O O L A. I'm I'm just guessing at all these pronunciations. I, I could be totally wrong. Yeah. If you don't find it searching Tula, search Tula. <laughs> you might be able. To. Yeah, you'll find it. I'm sure. So let's move on with announcements and feedback and all that good stuff for our last segment on the show. I got a uh, Google Plus. So do you want me to read it? Oh, sorry, no. No, I'm I'm going to start. I, I'll I'll hand you one. You can do the next one. Oh, okay. All right, so uh, the first one I got is a Google Plus post from Andrew Harris, uh, 2-Echo-0-B-A-Y. That's 2-Echo-0, Bravo, Alpha, Yankee, which is kind of a cool call sign, 2-E-0-B-A-Y. So there's an eBay in there. He says, uh, can anyone suggest a distro for the Triple E PC 701 netbook? I'd like to run PSK31, but only have a 4-gigabyte hard drive. Everything has to be small and work on a 7-inch display. Any suggestions? Thanks, Andy. Two Echo Zero, Bravo Alpha Yankee. So what I would what I would suggest to Andy is something like Easy Peasy or even Debian, um, which are lightweight distributions. You can install them with or without graphical environments, but in either case, they're lightweight enough to run on a seven-inch netbook like a triple E PC. What's interesting is that the latest version of Debian testing has switched from the GNOME desktop environment to LXDE, so it is much lighter weight than it used to be. And I also found a website that you can go to called www.linux-netbook.com stroke Linux stroke distributions, and it gives you a long list of distributions that will run appropriately on a netbook. Some are specific to netbooks, and some just run well on netbooks. So if you're if you're looking for a distribution to run on your netbook the, to power your ham shack, uh, I would go to that website and check it out. And like I said, you can try either uh, a later version of Debian testing, which now uses LXDE, which is lightweight, or something like Easy Peasy, which is an Ubuntu-based distribution uh, for netbooks specifically. And so uh, unless anyone else, uh, anyone else have any suggestions on that? Nope. Good. Okay. Uh, we also have uh, a comment on episode number 123 from Rob, which uh, Harrison can take care of. Take it away. Uh, Rob writes in, uh, good stuff, folks. Thanks for the Jay interview. I had watched his Dark Side of Ham Radio and thought he was pretty cool. And as a side note, I did it as well. And it, uh, it's a very good video. A uh, link will be in the show notes to it. Anyway, continuing. Nice to hear more from him. For anyone that hasn't seen his used to... Oh. There's the link right there. Uh, his YouTube page, here's the link. Uh, 73 Rob. Um, and if you uh, just want, if you don't want to go to the show notes, you can always search YouTube for, okay, J. Dig has six. Uh, Delta India Golf Hotel Sierra X-Ray being the last part of the word that I tried to pronounce there. Yeah, when he was on the show, he gave us the reason why his username over on YouTube is Dig HSX. Uh, it's basically a combination of last name, first name, and middle initial. And the middle initial, when there isn't one, is always X. 
So um, it was just a made up account name, and that's why it is. But he's he's got it out there as his name, uh, J and his last name Dig HSX Delta India Golf Hotel Sierra X Ray. Uh, so if you want to check that out, go check it out. It's worth doing. His videos are all great. It's a lot of fun. We had a great interview with him back on episode number one twenty three. So if you're if you're just tuning in now and wondering about listening to some of the back episodes. Uh, number 123 is definitely one worth checking out. Let me see. Cheryl said she was having a problem getting back online, but I see that she is with us again. You are you are with us again, right? Yes, I am with you. All right. Good. So uh, let me get through a couple of these quick announcements, and then you can do our social media roundup. Sound good? Sounds perfect. Uh, a couple of quick announcements here. Um, RARS Fest, which is in North Carolina at the North Carolina State Fairgrounds, is coming up again on April 19th. And um, you uh, can visit down there if you would. We uh, also still have our ambassador program where, you know, we have a booth set up that we can send to you if you want to represent Linux in the Ham Shack at your local Linux or Ham Fest. So if you're interested in any of the, the stuff coming up this year and we're really getting into the Hamfest and Linux Fest season. Now that we're into March going on into April, those things are really starting to ramp up this year. Uh more information will be about them on the website lhspodcast.info in the ambassador under the ambassador tab. So just click there and if you want to participate and be a uh, an ambassador for the show, we would love to have you. You get a free shirt out of the deal. We send you all you need and we even pay for the space. Uh, assuming it's not like a thousand dollars or anything like that is something we should probably talk about first. Uh, but we have had representatives down there in Georgia before, and we would love to have them again. Uh, and all that aside, if you can, uh, you know, participate in RARS Fest, I highly recommend that you do so. Uh, and then coming up in September will be the, uh, 2014 version of the Ohio Linux Fest. They've opened their call for papers. So if you ever wanted to talk at a Linux Fest, you are asked to submit a paper and you could be a speaker uh, out there in Columbus, Ohio uh, in September. The call for papers extends from now through May 24th of this year. And if you want to submit a paper, you can go to https colon stroke stroke ohiolinux.org stroke CFP. Uh, and the Charlie Fox Papa is all capitals. Uh, and uh, you could be a speaker there. And th- they do try and get first-time speakers up on stage so that you can talk to folks. I've I've been a first-time speaker. In fact, the first time I ever spoke at a conference was at the Ohio Linux Fest. So that's pretty cool. And you, you can participate, too. It, it's fun. Do it. I suggest you do it. Uh, we may even get a chance to get out to Columbus this year. I don't know if we will, but if we do, uh, we'd like to see you. And with that, that's all the announcements I have. So let's go ahead and uh, hand it over to Cheryl, who will do our uh, donations and subscriptions and the social media roundup. This month, or this time for our donations and subscriptions, uh, Steve Conklin joined us monthly, and Rob Branch Dash uh, was a new member for a yearly membership. So thank you very much. Uh, for our social media roundup uh, on Facebook, we had Steve Tank Robchuck join us. Fad Lee and Tim Clark slid in right under the rope earlier this evening, right before the podcast started. I got the uh, note that he had liked our Facebook page, so I added him to it. On Google Plus, we had Nathan Ivan, which is Katie Eight PYW, join us. 
Gary Gifford Jr., which is K-D-A-U-A-R, SDRScanning.com, Tim Smith, which is W-A-0-O-F-M, and Plexi. On Twitter, Elias Silva, which is P-T-2-E-L, Richard Brooks, which is G-W-1-J-F-W, Stu Attaway, which is M-0-T-N-G, Robert Lynch, which is M-0-N-V-Q, Mark, which is M-6-G-O-F, Daniel Wagner, K-C-2-Y-T-I, Peter Borget, which is W-6-O-P, Spoonless, which is his name is Spoonless Corey, uh, Ephraim Acosta, W-2-C-Z, Scott Morrison, K-A-3-D-R-R, Paul Stam, PC4T, Randy Fall, excuse me, Randy Hall, K7AGE, and John Mercer Jr., which is W7XK. Mike Locatelli joined our mailing list. Nobody buy anything from Cafe Press or Print Fiction, though, so we're, we're going to be broke here pretty quick. <laughs> People need to go buy t shirts or something, so. Yeah, for those of you who didn't donate to our Indiegogo campaign, you can still get t shirts and cups and mugs and iPad covers and clocks and all kinds of stuff at our Cafe Press and Printfection stores, which I will tell you all about in a minute here when we start doing our outro. Uh, I did notice that you uh, you kind of muffed up Richard Brooks's call sign. Uh, his uh, was one of our new Twitter followers, and his uh, his Twitter handle is GW1JFV, Victor, as opposed to JFW. And I think that's all we've got for tonight, unless anyone else has anything they want to interject in the last 30 seconds before I start the outro music. Anyone? Anyone? Going? 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 Gone. (laughs) Gone. Harrison, nothing? I'm uh, letting you go to the outro. Okay, letting me go to the outro. Good. We probably need to get to the outro. So, the outro has begun, and I get to read all the stuff that Pete normally reads, so... Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of Linux in the Ham Shack. Check out our website at lhspodcast.info. You can become an ambassador to the show and represent us and yourself at a local Linux or Ham Fest. All of the information and event schedule can be seen on our webpage under the Ambassadors tab. You can email us at info at lhspodcast.info or leave a voicemail at one nine zero nine lhs show that's 547-7469. You can send all your hate mail on to Harrison at hatemail at lhspodcast.info. He'd be happy to hear from you and tell us all about what you hate about Linux in the Ham Shack. Subscribe on our mailing list. Much. What's that? I didn't hear you. I haven't heard much hate mail, so we must be doing something good. Yeah, I guess we're doing all right. So uh, a link to that is on the website for the mailing list. And uh, hate mail, you'll just have to enter that into your email client. We mentioned our Cafe Press and Printfection stores where you can buy some of our merchandise. And all of it gives us a little bit of help over time. Uh, www.cafepress.com stroke LHS podcast and printfection.com stroke LHS podcast. You can listen live to the show every other Tuesday night at 8 o'clock Central Time. That's Wednesday at 0200 Zulu. Uh, There's a countdown schedule on the website, which actually works properly now, so check it out. 
Thank you to all of our listeners, all of our subscribers, all of the people who participate in our program, whether live or quasi-live, in the chat room by email, giving us feedback, voice feedback, subscribing, donating, and just being a general part of our lives. We appreciate each and every one of you. This has been episode number 125 of Linux in the Ham Shack. This is Russ speaking to you for... Bob, Whiskey 9, Yankee Alpha, Harrison, Victor Echo 2, Hotel Kilo Whiskey, and Cheryl, XYL, and my favorite person in the whole world. I'm broadcasting live from between the peaks in the pine forest of north central Arkansas, and we will catch you in another fortnight's time with episode number 126. Take care, everyone. Talk to you all soon. I'm trying to get on out of here because them hell sheep have got out again. I got to go round them up.